We now turn to the text for this morning, which is Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Following the ministry of the word, let's sing in response hymn 35, hymn 35, the stanzas one through four. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what should our attitude be toward all kinds of situations we can end up in? We know that we should thank God for his many blessings, but how do we deal with difficulties? It can be very challenging, for example, to accept suffering. Maybe you are wrestling with physical or mental illness or challenging circumstances at home, at school, or at work. And then all sorts of questions arise. It can be hard for us to reconcile suffering with God's love. It may even seem as if life no longer has a purpose. We then question why we are still alive. Everyone encounters suffering in one way or another. Some people suffer a lot. And this can be challenging for us as believers. Where is God's love in what we are going through? In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul teaches us to look beyond what's happening to us here and now. He emphasizes how God has revealed his love by sending his only begotten son to suffer and die for the salvation of sinners. Jesus Christ underwent far more suffering on our behalf than we can imagine. He suffered under the weight of the eternal wrath of God against our sins. And he did this to open the way to heavenly glory for us. When the sufferings of this life weigh you down, focus on that. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Our sufferings are real. But the point to remember is that they won't last forever. They are limited to this life. The apostle therefore encourages us to persevere in faith, looking to Jesus Christ. Our sufferings will one day end. And then we will enter heavenly glory, sharing in the glory of Christ himself. And Paul places the future glory opposite our present sufferings. And he does that to convince us that the future glory far outweighs anything that we might experience now. 
And nevertheless, brothers and sisters, even though we know of heavenly glory after the sufferings of this life, we can still wrestle with questions. And those questions concern the meaning of our sufferings and the sufferings of others. As children of our Heavenly Father, we have a glorious future ahead of us. But why do we have to go through suffering? And where do we learn to see the hand of our Heavenly Father? Our text addresses this matter. The theme for this morning is, Our God opens the way to heavenly glory for his children. We'll focus on two points, his purpose and his providence. Our God opens the way to heavenly glory for his children. We'll focus on his purpose and his providence. Perhaps you have recognized some of the words of our text about how, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Do you know where you can find them? You'll see our text echoed in the form for the baptism of infants. Just look in the fourth footnote at the bottom of page 597 of our book of praise. There we read that God the Father testifies and seals to us that he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us and he adopts us for his children and heirs and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. And those final words, as you can see in the footnote, are based on Romans 8 verse 28. And the explanation given to us at the time of our baptism is therefore worth thinking about. It highlights the thrust of our text within the context of the covenant with our triune God. Our God promises to take care of us all the time. And this includes those times when we feel that we're traveling through very dark valleys. There's a connection between Romans 8 verse 28 and the words of Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are with me. That affirmation is based on God's covenant promise to be our God. Neither David nor the Apostle Paul deny that evil can arise in the lives of believers. In the face of evil, David reminds us that God fulfills his promise to be with us. And because of his presence, we should fear no evil. And the Apostle Paul gives us additional comfort. He tells us that God will ensure that all things work together for good. In other words, he can even turn evil to our benefit. And this is something that we must believe 
even if we can't see it, we walk by faith. And the comfort of this word is the same comfort that is brought to us in our baptism. The important thing, first of all, is to believe the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And then we may be absolutely sure of the forgiveness of our sins. And the Apostle Paul emphasizes that at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. After having outlined the doctrine of justification by faith earlier in this epistle, he concludes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God acquits us of our sins and guilt. The punishment has been borne by Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on to speak of the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us to lead us to live for God and to pray to him as our Heavenly Father. And we pray with confidence, knowing that God promises a glorious future to us. The Spirit himself bears witness that with our spirit that we are children of God, writes Paul. And if we are children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. On this basis, the form for the baptism of infants speaks of the promise that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will impart to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Has it struck you? brothers and sisters, how boldly the form for the baptism of infants connects the covenant with the doctrine of election. We often find it difficult to talk about election. There's the fear of going beyond the bounds of what God has revealed about this doctrine. But be careful not to react by becoming totally silent about it. The doctrine of election forms the basis for what the Apostle Paul says in our text. He wants to ensure that difficulties arising in our lives don't cause us to doubt our salvation if we truly love God. Don't lapse into some sort of heathen attitude that what happens to us is a matter of fate. Fatalism goes hand in hand with a passive attitude. A person with such an attitude says, there's no sense in getting upset about what has happened. Your fate has been determined and you can only acquiesce. A fatalistic attitude robs the covenant between God and man of its contents. We are not dealing with an impersonal fate, but with a personal God who is our Heavenly Father. Fatalism is the opposite of actively accepting events in a trusting way as coming from him. He is with us. He speaks to us through his word. He sees and hears us when we respond to him. If you take the words of our text seriously, you will see that there is comfort in it. 
And this even applies when something catastrophic has happened to us. Some things are completely out of our control. In other cases, our difficulties have been caused by the sins of others or even by our own sins. Whatever the case may be, when we turn to God in prayer, we may trust in his ability to make all things work together for good. In our text, we see the apostle pointing to the basic reason for speaking with such certainty. There's reason to be certain about God's hand in our daily lives. The promise applies to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Why does the apostle mention our love and God's calling together in our text? He wants to show us how close the connection is between those two descriptions. Those who have been called can be recognized as people who love God. And if you love God, you may be sure that you have been called by him. Our text is simply describing the same group of people from two different perspectives. God takes the initiative. He decided to show love to us. And that decision is not based on something positive in us. Think of what the apostle already emphasized earlier in this letter to the Romans. In chapter 3, verse 24, for example, we read that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Salvation is a gift from God. It's for sinners who are by nature God's enemies, as Paul puts it in chapter 5, verse 10. And God's love is expressed in the fact that he calls us. He calls us out of the darkness of this world. He calls us out of the darkness of our sins into the light of fellowship with him. Our love for him is a response to his love for us. Without him calling us first, we would not love him at all. We learn about God's grace through Jesus Christ and respond in faith. By the grace of God, we embrace the privilege of adoption as his children. And we learn to love him as our heavenly father. And that's the result of having been called by him. And by speaking of those who love God as those who are called according to his purpose, the Apostle Paul is showing something of the relationship between the covenant and election. There's no room for a passive attitude here. No one can say, it doesn't matter how I live. If I'm one of God's elect, I will be saved anyway. This reasoning may sound tempting, but whoever talks in this way forgets that God doesn't deal with us as if we are blocks and stones. The gospel comes with the command to believe and repent. 
And whoever doesn't listen to this brings judgment upon himself. He will never be able to say, I wanted to believe, but God didn't elect me. Such a person refused the call to faith and repentance. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That call comes along with the proclamation of the good news of salvation. The account of who God is and what he has done through his only begotten son for the salvation of sinners. And this obligation of the covenant to believe the good news should always be impressed upon our hearts as the gospel is preached. At the time of our baptism, we also hear of the promise and the obligation of the covenant. If we respond to the promise with the obedience of faith, we may be sure that God will not withhold anything that is necessary for our salvation. And does this mean that we have earned our salvation in any way? Not at all. God has called us through the gospel. And we have simply responded because of his work in our hearts. And when you see the light of God's word shining over your life, then you know it's his grace that has brought you this far. And it is grace that will lead you on. God's electing grace becomes visible in the obedience of our faith. His sovereign purpose and his grace in your life also form the guarantee for your future. We see the Apostle Paul elaborating on this after our text. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so the order is foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. And this means that the final goal has already been established. Our God wants his children to be conformed to the image of his son so that we may be glorified together with Jesus Christ. Everything that happens in our lives is geared toward that good goal. And you may be sure of this if you respond to the gospel in faith. After our justification comes our glorification. Everything works together to that end. And that's what God's work of salvation through Jesus Christ is about. The fruit of the work of Jesus Christ is indivisible. You can't divide it up and say that some people get the one part and not the other. God's ultimate purpose with our lives will be fulfilled. Nothing will get in the way of this. For the sake of Jesus Christ who paid the price, God will complete the work of grace that he has begun. 
And do you see how the doctrine of election, as expressed in our text, is a source of comfort and certainty for believers? This God, whom we call our Father, holds on to us. He holds on to us even when we feel that there's no perspective in life anymore. Whatever happens to us, he will make sure it will serve to bring us closer to the final goal of our glorification. One day, we will be fully conformed to the image of the Son of God. He will be glorified in and through us perfectly. And if you take time to think about this gospel you'll find reason to thank and praise God even in the midst of troubles. The path along which he leads us in life may be very difficult, but rest assured that God works for the good of those who love him. And let this promise motivate you to love him even more. From day to day, he is at work fulfilling his purpose for our salvation. And at times, it may be very difficult to accept this. But God's word is certain. Count on it. Our God opens the way to heavenly glory for his children. We've paid attention to his purpose. Let's now focus on his providence. This is our second point. When we talk about God making all things work together for good, we're talking about the doctrine of his providence. His providence includes everything. Nothing is excluded. Our text makes this very clear. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Many things can happen to us that can can be harmful in certain ways. We can become sick. An accident may happen. There may be problems at home or elsewhere. Many more examples could be listed. Such things cause much sorrow and pain. At such times, we can feel the question, why? Burning in our hearts. And maybe we express that question too. It's often not possible to get a very specific answer to the question, why? Sometimes, when you look back on your life, you can see that the Lord had a specific reason for letting something happen to us. But whether or not we can see what the Lord's intention was, ultimately, trusting that he is in control is a matter of faith. We need to learn to accept the promise of our text again and again. We may not be able to understand what God is doing in our lives at all. 
But let it be enough for us to acknowledge that he knows what he is doing. And that he promises that all things work together for good for his children. Individually and together, we are a work in progress. We are in the process of becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Remember, that's the purpose. With a view to our ultimate glorification with Him. Sometimes the Lord uses certain circumstances to bring us to our senses. If we would ask, Father, why is this happening? The answer could be, because I'm your father and you need to be disciplined. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks about this discipline of the Lord. It quotes from the Old Testament. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor... Be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Take time to read this chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, carefully. And consider the fact that the discipline of the Lord can be special evidence of his love for us as his children. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You will find those words of wisdom in Hebrews 12, verse 11. The Lord can use difficulties in our lives to confront us with certain sins and shortcomings. He can let us get stuck. And then we're confronted with the consequences of what we have done. And the only way out then is to repent and ask God for help. Or we learn to see our limitations and realize how much we must depend on him. In the process, what we go through serves to purify our faith. And not every negative experience in this life is meant to be a form of discipline. Certain circumstances can be meant as a trial of our faith. Our faith is then really put to the test. Do we love God only because of things he does for us? Or because of who he is? Will we continue to trust in him no matter what happens? Or only when we see that things are going our way in life. God can also use circumstances such as diseases or other difficulties to help us not to become too attached to the things of this world. When we suffer, we tend to look forward to the new heavens and a new earth with more longing than when life here on earth is good and pleasant. The Lord can be at work in many ways for the sake of our salvation. And those are the riches of his providence 
and we can find comfort in them. Many people, however, reject this doctrine with scorn. They are perhaps willing to believe that God is only involved in the good things that happen to them, but they attribute everything else to the devil. And the problem with this viewpoint is that it limits God's power and gives too much power to the devil. What can they say when something bad happens? Did God have an oops moment? Did he lose control? At what point did the devil take over? Why couldn't or didn't God stop him? Some people conclude that bad things that happen prove that there's no God at all. This doesn't solve the problem of evil. Instead, it makes things even worse. If there is no God, then life has no meaning. It's just a series of random events, things that happen by chance. And that leads to the conclusion, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And that's a very foolish conclusion. It's a denial of the fact that creation testifies to the existence of God. It's also a denial of God's words and deeds in the course of the history of this world. What can unbelievers say about the problem of evil in view of the fact that Scripture also speaks of the work of the devil? Are they going to deny his existence too? Only the Bible gives us clarity by teaching us about the existence of God and the devil. And we learn that God is all-powerful and that even though the devil is active and very destructive, God makes all things work together for the good of his people. And we also learn that sin has consequences for all of creation, including human beings. Only God provides the way of salvation. All kinds of problems arise when people fail to see how all-encompassing the promise of our text is. They're disposing of what can be an important source of comfort in the life of God's children. The teaching of our text is really something to hold on to in times of trouble. For those who love God, all things work together for good. Confess this, brothers and sisters. It's a present reality. Paul is talking about a process that is unfolding as we speak. Nothing happens outside the providence of God. He is at work in everything. And this is not a denial that the devil is also at work. The devil always tries to corrupt and destroy what God has done and continues to do. However, the point of our text is that God's purpose will always prevail. He will always accomplish what he has set out to do. He will never fail to bless us. 
If he doesn't prevent bad things from happening to us, he will make sure that somehow something good will come of it. And the price for this work of love has been paid for by Jesus Christ himself. As a matter of fact, our Savior himself calls us to trust in his direct involvement in the events of our lives. Think of what he told his followers before ascending into heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He makes all sorts of events that may seem to be unrelated fit together. Everything works together and has a purpose. God's providence and our salvation are connected. His providence guarantees the salvation of God's children through Jesus Christ. And we can't fathom how God's love, wisdom, and power work together for our good. And that's why we sometimes wrestle with the question, what good there may be in certain events. Part of the problem is that we fail to see the bigger picture. What happens to us is not only about us. It's about us in the context of our relationship with God. It's about us in the context of our relationship with people around us. We form a large community together. And the good that comes of something, even from something very painful, may not necessarily be meant only for us personally. God may have the good of others in mind as well. And never forget this, for it's included in our text. What is the wider scope of God's work that we must take into account? Scripture gives us various examples of this. Remember what happened to Joseph? His brothers were jealous of him and wanted to kill him. And this would have happened if Reuben, one of the brothers, had not proposed to throw him into a cistern, a deep pit in which water could be collected. <clears throat> he planned to rescue Joseph from his brothers later. But during Reuben's absence, the other brothers saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming along. And those Ishmaelites were on their way to Egypt. And the brothers decided to sell Joseph to those men. As a result, he ended up in Egypt. We don't need to go into all the details of what happened to Joseph, how he was sold to Potiphar and later thrown into prison, how God released him from prison and raised him to the position of prince in Egypt. But keep in mind why the whole sequence of events is recounted in Scripture. It's not only to teach us how God worked for the good of Joseph, but also how the sinful things that happened turned out to be for the good of God's people. Joseph was elevated from the position of slave to become a ruler in Egypt. And God then used him to help his people when famine broke out 
in that region. All along, God planned to show his people his power and grace. Many years later, Joseph told his brothers very emphatically, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. When God comforts us in our troubles, we can become a source of comfort to others. The Apostle Paul points to this when he says in 2 Corinthians 1, the verses 3 to 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And this statement sheds light on another facet of our text. God can be at work for the good of others when something happens to us. The comfort he gives us can also be meant for others too. Who can fathom the depth and the breadth of God's work? Only God can oversee everything. Only he has the power to make all things work together for good for those who love him. His love is at work in his providence. He will accomplish his purposes. So what can we conclude from our text? No matter what happens, trust in God's character. Isn't he wise? And good? Hasn't he shown us his love through Jesus Christ? Don't doubt God's love and turn away from him in disappointment. Instead, draw near to him and ask him to comfort you and to teach you to walk in his ways. Isn't he our Father in heaven? And what can we learn from him even when we suffer? Is he disciplining us or putting our faith to the test? How is he showing us that he is present? How is he making it clear that he is with us, even though the opposite may seem to be true? Remember that he may not only have our salvation in mind, but also the salvation of others. Trust that he knows what he is doing and continue to serve him faithfully. There may be difficulties and cares, but we know the good news of God's grace. In his providence, his grace and his power are at work. Never surrender to despair or bitterness. Surrender to his wisdom and love. And beloved, this is how we may fall back on the promise mentioned in our text. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. If we don't reject his love, we will arrive at the glorious destination that he promises to his people. Despite all difficulties? No. Not despite them, but even through them. God even uses the sufferings of this present time for our good, leading us to heavenly glory. Rejoice in that glorious truth. Amen.